Revelation chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. We've covered part of 12 already. Let me read through these two verses. He who overcomes, and now, of course, he's speaking to the church of Philadelphia, the missionary church, the church of brotherly love, also called the faithful church, one of only two churches in Revelation 2 and 3 that receives no rebuke from Jesus. That's quite a statement. So the overcomers in the church of Philadelphia, which would appear to be the vast majority, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Another quote from J. Vernon McGee regarding this church. He says, let me say again that the Philadelphian church represents the revived church. The church that has returned to the Word of God. And you've heard me share before how that was one of the real key elements of the Jesus movement was a return to the Word of God. There was a tremendous uprising and increase in pastors, teachers, churches, really emphasizing expository teaching, going through the Word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. J. Vernon McGee was one of the men who was instrumental in that. In fact, Pastor Chuck Smith said that Probably his number one inspiration was J. Vernon McGee. It was after being exposed to J. Vernon McGee that Pastor Chuck decided to abandon the topical teaching method and start going through the scriptures verse by verse. The church that has returned to the Word of God. And yet now we see so many churches going in the other direction. It is this church that is to be raptured, his true church. And I do not think you can put them in any denomination or any local church. They are scattered throughout the whole world today. And you will find some of them belonging to some very funny organizations, he says. I don't understand that, but that is apparently none of my business. That is something they will have to straighten out with the Lord. So that's his take on the Philadelphia church. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word today. We ask that you would just speak to our hearts once again. Lord, feed our spirits. We thank you that you are the good shepherd and you do feed your sheep. Lord, help us to receive that which you have for us today. Lord, may your word be planted deep within our hearts and minds. May it impact how we live, how we think, what we believe. Lord, bring us in line with your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 12 says, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, long verse, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. Now, we left off this part right here. I will write on him the name of my God. So we talked last week about the, the memorial pillars in the temple, in the ancient buildings, and they had the names of the men they honored. So we will have God's name written on us. I will write on him the name of my God. 
And so what this is telling us, this passage, first what we covered last week and then today, is that we will be living everlasting memorials to our Creator. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? The Old Testament priest had written on his forehead, Kodesh Yehovah, holiness to the Lord. So Jesus is saying here, I will make him the overcomer, a priest unto myself. And we believe in Calvary Chapel of the priesthood of the believer. Peter said that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, and I think we've got that part down. <laughs> the peculiar part. Revelation 1.6 He has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. I have to be honest with you, even though I'm a pastor, I don't get up every day, look in the mirror and say, there's that priest. All right. How's it going? But, you know, wouldn't it be great? We should, in reality, make that a daily part of our thinking and our living. We're, we're not just, you know, I don't know how to put it. We are all just average, normal human beings, I guess you could say, on one level. But on another level, as believers born again by the Spirit of God, we are priests. We will fulfill that in the millennial kingdom. But even now, we have that position in Christ, and I think it would have a positive impact on how we live, what we think, our thoughts and so forth, our attitudes. If we could daily just pause and reflect upon that, He has made us kings and priests to His God and Father. Revelation 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is He who has part in the first resurrection. Did you know there's more than one? The first resurrection is the resurrection unto eternal life. That's for believers. The second resurrection is for the non-believers, the wicked, and they will be raised unto eternal death. And you've probably heard me speak of this before. This is the way I describe it. In Christ, we have eternal life. We're going to live forever in paradise, in the presence of God, no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sickness, no more tears. Perfect health, obviously, in our immortal bodies. But there's also, for the non-believer, an eternal state of conscious existence. But it's not life. It's death. It's, it's eternal death where those people will be conscious of their condition and where they are, but it'll be a, a place of eternal torment. That's the difference. Eternal life in Christ or eternal death apart from Him, but both groups are conscious and aware of where they are, who they are, either with God in paradise or in hell, for eternal torment. Even as those, again in Revelation, those who take the mark of the Antichrist, and Tim Miller was just talking to me before the service, you know, we were talking about um, tracing now, contact tracing, and how 
Uh, when you go to a restaurant now, they ask you for your name and phone number and all that. Anybody experienced that? And Tim was talking about, um, as time goes on, they're saying, well, this virus just may never go away. And uh, I think it was our own governor that said, even after things get better, we should continue to wear masks and practice social distancing. Did you hear that? So, we already know that there's tracking going on through our cell phones and electronic devices, right? And so Tim pointed out that this could be the gateway or entry point for justifying microchipping everyone. That way, with the chip, they would be able to know whether or not you've already had the virus. Uh, they would know whether you've had the vaccine. See, from that viewpoint, it would be very justifiable to protect everyone's health, right? Kind of like abortion is for a woman's health. <laughs> it does a great deal of damage to a woman, mentally, physically, emotionally. That's one of the, one of the many great lies from the pit of hell. It's all about women's health. No, it's not. It's bad for the woman, and it's worse for the baby. You might have noticed I have some pretty strong feelings about abortion. Because God is the creator of life. He wants the one who gives life. He's the one who decides when life is over. No one else has a right to do that. Now, we do have responsibilities in terms of punishment for capital offenses, the Bible clearly states that an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life, and so I have no problem with capital punishment. In fact, many people have been damaged for the rest of their lives because they've had family members, friends, loved ones brutally murdered, and there's never any closure. There's never any justice. Because the people who do these things, the worst case scenario, they may be imprisoned for life, fully supported by your tax dollars. And the worst case scenario is they do a few years and then they're back on the street again. And by the way, I'm going to get down and dirty. In Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's America, not only will they not be properly punished for the crime, they won't even have to post bail. It's already happened. In all these cities across America where they're burning destroying, killing. They go into the jail. They're immediately released without bail. They go back onto the street and they do it again. Do you want that kind of a nation? That's what you're going to get if they're elected. Keep that in mind. That should inspire your prayers, I would think. And not only that, but it's a proven fact that uh, Kamala Harris promoted a fund that was established to pay the bail for these people when there was bail. New York, there's no bail. Minneapolis, there was bail. And so Kamala Harris raised money to help bail these criminals out. And there were, I think, 12 members of the Biden campaign that personally donated to that fund. That's the kind of people who want to run our nation. Sorry. Can't hip it. I just can't hip it. All right, back to the scriptures. Even as those who take the mark of the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, will be eternally sealed and destined to a tormented existence in hell, 
The people of God will be sealed. That's what's going on here with him writing his name on us. We will be sealed. In fact, in Ephesians it says we've already been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We will be sealed to an eternal state of glory and honor in the presence of God. Revelation 14, 9 and 10. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand. Now see, the thing is, if they were to come out in the near future and say, we've come up with a great system to help eradicate this pandemic, this disease, but it involves everyone taking a microchip, that wouldn't necessarily be the mark of the beast, but it would be a precursor to it. Again, they've already promoted the chipping for... Well, how many of you have pets with microchips? Little Bowser is just the beginning. Little Fifi is just the beginning. This would be a precursor to it. And uh, I would be extremely cautious, personally, of... I don't plan on taking any chips other than potato chips. I love potato chips. <laughs> and I like corn chips. But I'm not taking any implanted chips. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength in the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. That doesn't sound like something you want to be a part of, does it? So that's a warning. We won't go all the, into all the details today of the implications of that, but suffice it to say, God's Word says if you take that mark, whether it's a microchip or some kind of a digital tattoo, there are different ideas about what it might be, could be, would be, all of the above. That seals your fate according to the Scriptures. You will not spend eternity in paradise with God and God's people. I will write on him, the overcomer, the one who perseveres, which again does not mean you're earning your salvation. It simply is the proof, the evidence, the fruit that you are a true believer because you persevere, you endure, you overcome, you don't give up, you don't back down, you don't compromise. You do what the Philadelphia church did. They did not deny the name of Jesus. They held up the name of Jesus. They kept or held on to his word. These are things that are involved in being an overcomer. You don't sell out to every new fad doctrine that comes down the pike. You don't begin to embrace the liberal beliefs of the liberal church. Oh, by the way, <laughs> I suppose you all heard that the Pope has now endorsed same-sex marriage, right? I think that's a pretty good example of selling out. According to the present Pope, it's now okay to be gay. That rhymes. It's okay to be gay. That certainly has not historically and traditionally been a position of the Catholic Church. And when the leader of the largest 
quote, Christian denomination on the planet sells out like that, that's a pretty good indicator of where things are headed, wouldn't you say? Again, as we get deeper into Revelation, we're going to see, and you already know this, that the three components of the one world system under the Antichrist will be a one world government. And by the way, that's, that's another little bonus you get with Biden and Harris. The current president has spent the last four years trying to get us out of globalism, America first, a sovereign nation again. There's nothing wrong with nations being independent and sovereign. Do you know that? When you start melding them all together, that's when you have a problem. It's called globalism. And that's when things are no, no longer decided here at home. But maybe over in The Hague at the International Court, the European Union. Look at what Britain has gone through trying to remove itself from the European Union. Once you get into a deal like that, it's really hard to get out again. So if you're a globalist, then you need to vote for Biden, whom I've endorsed, by the way. I don't need to blink anymore. You know that I'm being sarcastic. Or am I? No. <laughs> if the governor's watching, I mean it. <laughs> I doubt that she is, but you never know. Folks, isn't it obvious that we're headed in the direction of what we're studying here? That we're right there? Right there? So, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. That way we're never going to get lost. We know who our dad is and we know where our house is. Not only will we have our job description written on us, priest, we will have our city of residence, the new Jerusalem. So Jesus promises the overcomers of Philadelphia, and this would apply to any believer who's an overcomer. These promises that he's offering to the overcomer sounds like a divine passport. In fact, you're not going to get in without these credentials. Jerusalem is the city of God, Zion, God's holy mountain. And he's going to write on us the name of the city of our God, the new Jerusalem. Zechariah 8.3, thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. And so this is where a lot of believers, I think, get confused or they maybe they just haven't been taught enough or studied enough. Our ultimate destination is not heaven. It's going to be great to go there and spend time there with the Lord, but our ultimate destination is the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. Remember Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you? In fact, it says right here, which comes down out of heaven from my God, the new Jerusalem will have absolutely no connection to the works of man. This is the significance. The current Jerusalem, although a holy site, and Jesus is going to set foot on the Mount of Olives. He's going to establish 
his millennial kingdom there in the city of Jerusalem. It's still a man-made city, isn't it? Built by human hands. Whereas the new Jerusalem, can you imagine what that place is going to look like? It's going to be amazing. It will be built by God alone from heavenly materials. Hebrews 11, 8 and, uh, through 10. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, Canaan. From Ur of the Chaldees, God called Abraham a pagan, called him to go and become the father of the Hebrews there in the land of Canaan. He went out not knowing where he was going. That's faith, isn't it? That's faith. God told Abraham, get up and go to a place that I will show you once you start moving. And I'm, I forget what preacher it was, but many years ago I heard one of them say something that's always stuck with me. He said, it's easier to steer a moving object. You know, when you're driving down the road in your car, it doesn't take much at all to move it to the right or the left, does it? But when you're sitting still, it takes some effort to turn that wheel. Get up and go to a place that I will show you. By faith, Abraham obeyed God, and God led him to the place of his destiny. He went out not knowing where he was going. So I would encourage you. I'm not encouraging you to get ahead of God, but I'm also encouraging you not to lag behind. If we're following him daily, we are moving. There's a time and a place... Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and so forth. But as we're following him day by day, he will guide us and he will steer us and direct us. So it's important we don't get ahead of him, but we also don't lag behind either. Verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And this is the, the part we're trying to get to here. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is really important. You see, Abraham, thousands of years ago, had an awareness, an understanding that was imparted to him by God that one day he would be dwelling in the heavenly city of the new Jerusalem. And that's what he was fixed upon. That's what he was looking for. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about this. The Faith Hall of Fame. He waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Revelation 21.2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then down in verse 10, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Going down to verses 18 through 21, the construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third Chalcedony, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the sixth Sardius, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Beryl, the ninth Topaz, 
the 10th chrysoprase, the 11th jacinth, and the 12th amethyst. Probably never heard of half of those, right? The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. I've never seen a pearl that big of you. And the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, what's interesting, here on planet Earth, what are our common building materials, right? Uh, wood, sheetrock, metal, studs, so forth. In heaven, building materials are precious gems, gold. You know, those are just building materials to God. Quite a difference. And folks, this, this description, what we just read here, this place is where we're going to be living forever. Have you ever gone somewhere on a trip, a vacation, or what have you, and you got to stay someplace really, really nice, and you thought, man, I wish I could just live here forever, right? Well, I'm telling you, when you see this place, you're going to want to live there forever, and the good news is you get to. The most amazing place that you've ever seen on this planet, whether in person or in a movie, a photograph, a magazine, pales in comparison to where you and I are going to be living forever. Wow. And yet, isn't it sad so many times people will trade that away? We talked about this last week. Let's make a deal. Trade you for what's behind curtain number three. How people will trade away this for the temporary things of this world that cannot and will not last and compared to what God has in store for us, it's just nothing but garbage. The best that this world has to offer is garbage compared to what God has in store for us. And I will write on him my new name. So we have several inscriptions. The name of my God, the name of the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And then I will write on him my new name. So not only will we be marked with the name of God and the new Jerusalem, we will have a special, as of now unknown name, either for or from Jesus, written upon us as well. Revelation 19.12, his eyes were like a flame of fire. Of course, this is Jesus. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. So what a privilege and an honor to be imprinted forever with these glorious names. I call them God's tattoos. I know tattooing is popular today. I don't have any. I'm not going to judge anyone that does, but I'm trying to save space for his. <laughs> I don't want to stand before him and he gets ready to start writing on me. He says, what's this stuff? No. <laughs> no. Again, no judgment here. God bless you. Tattoos are not. But I'm going to wait. Revelation 3.12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and so forth. I wanted to touch one more time on this part where he, he shall go out no more. And it, it made me think about this. Often in our relationship with God, 
we're kind of in and out. It's like a hamburger. Ever heard of in and out burger? No, we're kind of in and out because of our sin nature and that constant battle that we have against our flesh, right? Paul talks about it in the book of Romans. That which I would not do, I do, and that which I would do, I do not. He expresses that frustration there of wanting to do the right thing and not being able to do it and then wanting to avoid doing the wrong thing and then giving in to it. And of course, ultimately, he talks about the fact the answer is Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, but it's a constant battle that we will face throughout the rest of our earthly days. And so, if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, we would have to say that there are Sometimes we're closer to God than others. Kind of like our relationships with our spouses and different people. Some days are better than others. Some, some seasons of life are better than others. But the good news, once we are perfected, we've received our immortal, eternal, glorified, imperishable, incorruptible bodies, and we've taken up residence in the heavenly city of the new Jerusalem, he, we, shall go out no more. No longer will all be our relationship with God be one of in and out. We'll be all in. I want to be all in, do you? And, you know, and to the best of our ability, we're, we're working towards that. To be all in for God. But the day is coming. The good news is when it won't even be an issue anymore. We will be all in. He shall go out no more. In the New Jerusalem, as pillars of God, as we've learned, we will be eternal memorials unto our God, pillars in the temple of our God, with the new name, His name and the new name of His beloved Son written on us. We, the overcomers, will never ever again know anything but continuous intimacy and fellowship with God. Does that sound good? We strive for it now. We fall short. We know that. But we will never, ever again. Do you have moments? Hopefully it's just moments. For some people it may be a little more. People struggle. Some more than others. In their relationship with God. But we all have moments, at least I would suspect, where you don't feel as close. He seems more distant. There's that old inscription, if God seems far away, guess who moved, right? He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, so he doesn't move. But we all have those moments, I think. But the good news is you will never, ever experience that again once we enter into the realm of eternity and where we take up residence in the new Jerusalem. And as he does with each church, he caps it off with this final statement in verse 13. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as always, this message is for those who will listen and take to heart what God is saying. We saw this in chapter 1, right at the very beginning, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads... Those who hear, do we all know that reading is not the same as hearing? Have you ever read, that could be a scripture, it could be an article in a newspaper or online news site, 
Have you ever read anything and then, you know, five, ten minutes later you, have, you can't remember anything about what you just read? So reading is not hearing. The blessing is for those who read and those who hear the words of this prophecy. John writes at the very beginning of the book of Revelation. So we have to ask God to impart understanding to us by His Holy Spirit as we read. Father, give me insight. Give me understanding. Help me to absorb Your Word. That's why there's a lot of talk, especially in the book of Psalms, about meditating. Not in this New Age weird way, but meditating upon the Word of God means to take time to digest it, to ingest it, to reflect upon it. So you're not just reading it. I suspect many of us have probably had times where we're trying to do have what we call a quiet time, devotions, but we're doing it more out of obligation than anything else. And so we might zip through a passage, read it, but go away and not remember anything about what we just read. So it's important to understand the blessing. Blessed is he who reads, those who hear the words of this prophecy, and then keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. And if it was near when John wrote that, how near is it now? As we look at the world around us, we know it's very near. In fact, as Jesus said, right at the door. So this message is for those who will listen and take to heart what God is saying. So according to God's timetable, we see here in Revelation 1-3, the time is near. According to God's timetable, the time has been near for literally every generation of believers since the first century church. Does that mean God is a liar? Absolutely not. We know that God operates outside the realm of space and time. Time is meaningless to God. You could kind of tweak your brain trying to wrap your brain around this concept of eternity. That's where God dwells. He dwells in the realm of eternity. He operates outside the realm of space and time. So to him, everything is now. One day is a thousand years, a thousand years is, as a day. But I, my point is that, again, if it's been near for every generation of believers, he's much nearer now than he was when this was written 2,000 years ago. Wouldn't you agree? In fact, it's confirmed in Romans 13, 11. Now do this and do this. Love one another. That's what he's talking about here. Do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. That's true for everybody here today. It's been true for every believer of every generation. But as we've talked about over and over again, the Bible clearly states that there will be a specific point in time, even though God operates outside the realm of space and time, as human beings, we do live within the realm of space and time, and the scriptures clearly indicate, just as all the things that we study in the Word of God that have already happened, those are actual historical events that took place at a certain point in time in human history. 
we know that approximately roughly 2,000 years ago, Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead on the third day. We know all of these things are historically true and accurate. And so when the Bible talks about future events, we can also know that those will occur at a specific point in time. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I don't care if you've been saved five minutes, five years, ten years, twenty, fifty years. You're closer to seeing Jesus now than you were when you first came to know him. Amen? And I believe that we're very, very close. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for the incredible future that you have planned for us, that you've laid out for us, Lord. We're going to be getting some really cool inscriptions with your name indicating that we are priests, the name of our residence, the New Jerusalem. Father, I don't know about everybody else here today, but I would like nothing better than to be marked by you. And I know that you already have. You've sealed us with your Holy Spirit of promise. We thank you for that. Lord, help us to overcome. That's the important thing for us here today. You've made wonderful promises to those who overcome, the overcomers, those who persevere, those who endure. Lord, help us to see that all the precious promises that you've given us are well worth any sacrifice we might have to make on this earth. Lord, that what you have in store for us is beyond our wildest dreams, really beyond our comprehension. But Lord, I know that we will not be disappointed. Thank you, God. Help us to stand firm, stand strong, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Before we uh, sing our final song, while everyone's heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just raise your hand if you need prayer this morning for any reason, for you or for someone near and dear to you, whether it's for health, for guidance, for provision, whatever it might be. Okay, praise God. We see those hands. Father, we lift up each one to you now. Lord, you know what's going on in each one of their lives. You know what the need is, what the, the issue is, whether it's health, whether it's uh, financial issues. God, you are our provider, Jehovah Jireh. Lord, please be with each one of these folks. Bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. If they need physical healing, please pour out your healing oil upon them. If it's for a friend or a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, Father, we do pray that they would be healed for your glory, that all would know that you're the one that healed them and touched them. Lord, whatever it might be, maybe there's need for employment, maybe there's a need for a healing of a relationship. Lord, maybe there's anxiety, there's worry, there's stress. Please lift that from them. Lord, you promised if we would bring everything to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus with your peace that passes all understanding. Lord, just impart that peace to each one today. Lord, bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. And Lord, we lift up different ones in our church today that are struggling with health issues, physical issues. Lord, you know each one. You know who they are. Some of them are in our hearts and minds right now. We can think of them. We ask you to pour out your healing upon them as well. We thank you and praise you for all your blessings, Lord. They are innumerable, beyond our ability to even count. We thank you, we praise you, and we honor you.
In Jesus' name.